This is Band Pow Comic Out with your hosts, Andrew Glonner. And Chris Ramos. With feature guest, Josh Wilson. All right. This is a continuation of our interview with Josh Wilson. And for this next part here, we're going to review Marvels by Kurt Busick and Alex Ross. Um, this is how I read the book in wow. this big monster edition. <laughs> like literally, if you put it upside my head, it's like two of me. That is huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then that's how, yeah, right most of the day. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. Um, we were kind of always looking to review this book and uh, Chris's like copy that he originally had it. He borrowed it. He got, it got borrowed out. I guess. Mm. And so forever. I was like, yeah, from forever. It's in the void. And so I was like, Chris, we, I, I'll just get you a copy. And so there was like a sale on cheap graphic novels. And I was like, this is it. This is your book. <laughs> Here you go. Coming back, coming back home. Yeah. Yes. That the, so you owned it before. So this wasn't the first time you've read it. No, I, um, I'm always the old guy in these discussions. All right. So yep. I read it. Um, I, I remember when it came out, I remember seeing it on the stands because when it first wow. came out uh, in 1995, um, 1994, I was 15 years old. So I was full steam into comics everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I remember seeing it. They promoted the heck out of it. I mean, it was everywhere because at that time, like right now, Alex Ross is like, People know who he is. Right. He's, yeah. he's the watercolor artist, you know. But back then, no one ever thought of hand painting an entire comic book, let alone in watercolor, let alone saying, I'm going to do this as a monthly series. Yeah. So Alex Ross really jumped into the, the, um, uh, the mainstream just based on his skill alone, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and after that, of course, he went on to do just about every everything variant covers and astro city and um kingdom come uh, war on crime and all this stuff um, yeah so he really he really really was catapulted in this but but i remember seeing it they promoted the uh like the burning human torch cover like everywhere it was everywhere. og og human torch yeah. <laughs> so that's so that's how i remember it and at the time i i'm trying to remember i may have read one or two issues I didn't get a chance to read the whole story. Um, and I think that may have been a combination of comics actually selling out uh, mm. in 1994, which is totally mm. true. Um, you know, you could always get your you always get your hand on like issue two and three, but like number ones were just gone everywhere. Yeah, that still and, happens now too. I mean, I tried to yeah. follow some some runs and it just it gets so stressful to me because i don't make it there in time and then it's gone. And so like I oh, usually yeah. wait I know for that the to come out mm -hmm. in the trade or something. Yeah, yeah. I'll go. Oh, you have number three, number four. Where's number one? Where did I pick that up? Oh, it's, yeah. it's gone before you thought about the series. Oh, exactly. and when this when this came out, it wasn't like you know a mainstream. It wasn't you know a, a Captain America or anything. It was just a mm -hmm. hey, here's a new format. Uh, what do you guys think of reading a comic like this? So it was a little bit of an experiment, you know. Um, but boy, it really caught on. And and the the copy that I read um, is the twenty fifth anniversary edition okay, it's the deluxe sure. so it is hardcover it's got a nice little slip on it and yeah um, nice. the difference between my copy and andrew's copy 
because oh. the 25th <laughs> anniversary, yeah, you can almost see the story itself is about halfway through the book. Yeah. Maybe even a quarter. And then the rest of it is all script and outlines and notes and um, all sorts of like character designs and sketches and things like you did in Twilight Custard. It's just yeah. fun to have all those. Extras. Mine has a lot of that stuff too. And it's fun how they all have different covers, but this is, says the remastered edition. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot yeah. of extras as well, but I love how they've all have different focuses on the characters and the different time periods as far as the covers. Sure. Concerned. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really amazing to read this in the monster edition, not to brag, but you can just see the, <laughs> the scope of what Alex Ross was able to do and imagine and like put on the page. And it was like, it was epic. It's yeah. that's just the word for it. it's epic. It's huge. And he was able to accomplish a lot and tell like a really in-depth story. I wonder this. how big these pages were when he was actually, or the canvases were when he was actually making the page. You know, that's a good question because I, I'm familiar with the sizes of a traditional uh, comic book page. They're all pretty standard size. They're like 11 by 14, sort of. Um, I don't know if he really grabbed giant pieces of watercolor paper like that and just went at it, but maybe. Yeah, it's curious, know, it, yeah. It's like it, maybe go they visit just kept the, uh, it that way for reproduction. Yeah, it's like when you go visit like the Dali Museum, the Salvador Dali Museum, and you go there and like, oh my God, these paintings are humongous. They're like, huge, yeah. like a huge ladder to get up top. I wonder, it'd be amazing to see a big giant Alex Ross like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, get on before, yeah, exactly. Before we go too much farther, um, Josh, can you tell us your like comic book origins? Like, where did you start reading? What characters do you gravitate towards? Like, things like that. For sure. And I, I kind of feel a bit like a poser only because I started with the characters before the comics. So like when I was growing up, the big thing for me was the uh, the 90s cartoons, mainly Spider-Man was my absolute favorite. Oh, That's still yeah. my favorite iteration of Spider-Man. And then the sure, X-Men sure. and the Batman, all those 90s cartoons. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, like, I was right there with, with you, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, and then I, I slowly picked up comics on and off uh, throughout my life. And only seriously over the last like five years that I really start to read like some of the more adult like graphic novels and a lot of stuff from Image and then going back and reading a lot of Spider-Man because I love again, love Spider-Man. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, so it's just kind of picking it up late in life and going back and reading a lot of the issues and, and liking the, again, the cartoons and then the movies that came after that and just loving those characters first and foremost. Right. Um, it's kind of surreal to think that now uh, they're picking up X-Men 97 with yeah. a new animated series. And then the Batman, the animated series is getting the, uh, the Cape Crusader tales. Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and Brewmaker's coming on to it, they announced. So crazy. to write and things like that. So it's it's a crazy the, the times we live in now. It's yeah. capitalizing yeah. on that, our that, 90s nostalgia. <laughs> I know. Give it to me, though. You know, <laughs> right? no, no. come on. You made it for me. It's, it's good. <laughs> well, you know, and the, and the funny thing for me, I mentioned I went and saw, you know, Batman with Michael Keaton in the theater. Um, and it was funny because before that came out, the only Batman was Adam West. Yeah. The only the last movie was the Adam West movie right <laughs> so like i remember going to see it and then when i was when i got out because i went by myself i was 10 years old i went by myself i don't know i just was like i'm gonna go see batman and uh people were like oh what'd you think kind of goofy huh is michael keaton he's a comedian and i was like uh batman's real creepy those versions are, are scary they're not really that goofy at all you know it became goofy afterwards after he dropped it but 
Yes, but it was just handled well, you know, and I think that's what's happening now with comics, too, is that there's this sort of revival of uh, D&D. There's a revival of, you know, comic book movies, obviously, and they're Mm -hmm. still running strong. And I think they're they're now saying, okay, this is uh, new comics maybe need some help. In my opinion, they need to grab another audience because they're really still latching on to their original audience, you know, from 30 years ago. So they're trying to find new, what are new characters? What's the new direction? But also at the same time, they have such a huge, huge backlog of, of, of a franchise. And I think that's where the collected editions and everything else sort of comes out. And Marvel's is still going strong, I think, because Alex Ross and, and Kurt, they wrote it as like a love story to fans. You know, it's mm. exactly what it is. You know, mm. as you're reading through it, you pick up almost every time you read it. I've probably read it four or five times. Mm. Um, but every time you read it, something else jumps out. Some other piece of like, oh, yeah, that's from Fantastic Four. Or, oh, hey, that's a funny little nod. That newspaper title was in, you know, this Marvel run and, you know, right. and, and the way they handle stuff. So... Yeah, they um, give you just enough to serve the story, but I mean, like, there are a lot of things in there. They really expect you. They don't hold your hand. They really expect you to know the events that are taking place. And there were a couple of them where I was like, "What is exactly happening here?" Like the stuff with the silver, <laughs> when the silver surfer came in and Galactus and stuff. I wasn't exactly sure, you know, what happened at the end of that, and they didn't really go into it because it wasn't about that. It was about the people's reaction and the and the culture at the time. Sure, you know, like we know these four iconic stories backwards and forwards, but what's like chris you always talked about like in between the panels what is going mm-hmm. on what is the crowd's reaction and yeah. you you are always like putting it matching it and that's how uh, you always like read comics but like they actually put it and wrote a story about it and like yeah. the people's perspective and the photographer's perspective i thought that was really interesting yeah yeah you know if you think about what a t- typical comic book does is it you know puts you right next to the actual heroes you know mm-hmm. if the avengers are having a meeting you're just sort of standing there with them and you know if they're in a spaceship going out to the cosmos you're in that ship with yeah. them you know and so it's like you you have no choice but to sort of be this um omniscient bystander right, right. um <clears throat> but uh, alex ross really put it out as you know everyone's witnessing these amazing uh people and amazing events and you know if a 500 foot galactus just appeared over new york it doesn't matter how many times people have seen heroes and villains fight that's still gonna paw you know give them pause mm-hmm. um and and again at that time that this came out that was a really unique way to look at this of like what would you do if you ran into the x-men in the in a subway you know like right. what would you do <laughs> for sure it's funny too because as the story goes on um like you said the perspective of uh, they're still in shock and all and uh, every time and they're scared but uh the main character as he goes on he does sort of become desensitized and, and he, there's a certain point where he's like i know that the super the, the heroes will will come and take care of this so there's no need to worry and then right when yeah. he gets to that mindset you know you get into the uh green goblin gwen stacy stuff and it turns that on his ears like oh okay the the heroes can't win every single time so it's, it really kind of yeah. takes you to the roller coaster it really ride. hits home yeah, yeah for sure at the end. yeah so the the way the book is structured is it starts out um just just for our, our listeners too um there's four issues 
of Marvels. And um, it starts out in 1939 with the original Human Torch, which was an android, fighting with the Submariner and fighting with Captain America. And the, and, and yeah, they were the Golden fighting. Age. Yeah, I already didn't uh, realize that he was an android. I thought he was a man that he that that person experimented oh, on. Yeah, I heard I heard a comment said something about him being an android, but I thought that was just speculation because there's no way a human could do that. I didn't realize that the character. Oh, it was uh, actually yeah. was how interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first human torch, um, Alex was, Raymond, I think it is. Yeah, or Hammond. Jim, like it's one of the Jim, Jim <laughs> Hammond. Bill. Yeah. yeah. Billy Hammond or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have amazing recall. My brain does not work like yeah. that at all. <laughs> everyone everyone the was named Billy back then. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. <laughs> they they made him, and anytime he touched oxygen, he like he set on fire. So it wasn't really yeah. like controllable um, in the Johnny Storm Fantastic Four sense. It was just yeah. an android that was just on fire like all the time. Uh, and eventually yeah. they joined into the Invaders, which was. Um, him, um, Neymar, Captain America, America. And Bucky, a bunch right? of Golden Bucky. Age. Yeah, Bucky was there too. Yeah, yeah. And a ton of so, other Golden Age heroes you never heard of. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, what what Marvel Comics did was they took all of their heroes and they threw them into fighting World War II before we were even in World War II. They were just like, "You're going to go over to Europe and kick some butt," and everyone was like, "America isn't even in the war." <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, send all our heroes. You guys go take care of it. Um, so that that first era is like um, you're introduced to Phil, who's who's a uh, I think he's just a journalist at that time, right? He's always been yeah, a photographer. Photographer, yep, yeah. yeah. And then the next book, issue number two, is like the '60s, and then the next book is the '70s, and then and then the last book is I think late '70s. You know, it's like when he kind of um, just continues on seeing the the X Men sort of take over. And it, mm. you know, it's really cool because it starts out with these larger than life, super strong, you know, Prince Namor and and yeah. Captain America, and then it kind of goes into um, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and then it goes into mutants and X-Men, and you got you got to get to see how people are reacting and where like the prejudice is starting, right? Mm. Absolutely. Um, I thought it was really interesting how he kind of romanticizes, like we said, the the Marvels, all the superheroes, and he thinks they're larger than life. And the art just kind of draws you in is when you see like the human torch for the first time and like the mm-hmm. his case, you're like, whoa, what is this? You know, we've never seen anything like this. And slowly the public is like against it, then it's for it. And um, then you get move on to the issue where the X-Men are starting to appear and their the prejudice was really hard, even though they were so different, they just look different, but they're humans, but they got powers and mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to replace us. But while that's happening, the wedding's going on. And it's just, it's something <laughs> like draws out of like the news today of just extreme different forms of what, how the media is controlling us and what they want us to see and what's really out there and how that uh, conflicts with public perception. And I thought Kurt Busick did a wonderful job, like interpreting like Alex's vision of that. Yeah. And so smart with how uh, people would handle it as well too, you know, not believing it or, or, um, you know, um, I, I just feel like that's, you could drop these characters into today and, and the populace would act in, in a very similar way or drop aliens in on us. And they would be, you know, they'd either attack it or they wouldn't believe that it's true. You know, that's kind of what they would default to. It seems like. I thought that Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's like that fog of war, like, you know, if, um, 
uh, if Italy said, oh, aliens came down and they fought us, but our heroes fought them off, everyone would be mm. like, wait, what? You know, like, we didn't see <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Well, what are you talking about? You know, like, unless the entire world sees it, it's mm. almost like unbelievable that it happened. You know, like a and volcanic sadly, sometimes explosion. not even then, yeah. <laughs> right. Or even yeah. an earthquake. Everyone's like, wow, there's a big earthquake over in the middle of, you know. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Syria or something, yeah. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard for us to connect that way. Um, sure. You know, one, one good thing, too, I noticed um, reading it was the... Um, the way Alex Ross, the way his artwork is, it's, it's almost hyper-realistic, even though it's very quick watercolor. You could definitely tell that was at the, at the beginning of his career. I mean, right now, his stuff's super detailed. Yeah. But yeah. the beginning of his career, it was just fast, right? Fast and loose. And um, he, he did it where it's hyper-realistic, and you felt like um, things that, I think we as comic book readers would sort of think as not amazing. Like um, I guess the human torch is a good example or like the fantastic four, a good example, but the way that he was illustrated, it was like, wow, it's, it's very an epic feel because you're, you're way down on ground level, you know, mm-hmm. and these things are happening like over you all the time, or even when literally, yeah. When you get to the Galactus too, he is the biggest thing they've ever saw before. Yeah, and yeah. just the different angles they see it, like waist or uh, uh, from his feet up, and then from his uh, like waist up, it's very just they just can't fathom it. They think, "Oh, this is the world's literally ending right now." Yeah, <laughs> where, where are the Avengers? Uh, that was the thing that really got me. We're like, "Where are the Avengers? What? <laughs> where are they going? They're they're greatest heroes. They're not yeah. here." <laughs> I thought that blew my mind. And then they're like, a fantastic port. There's four of them. I can't do anything. <laughs> you know what? And Josh, as a writer, I'm sure you picked up on the whole, um, you know, way the pages are laid out. Um, you know, Andrew and I had mentioned before, you know, I don't know how much Alex Ross has a hand in that or whether Kurt said, hey, this is how I want the exact pages to lay out. Because yeah. even in the back of this book, they have a lot of examples of the script. And if you do take your time on it, there, there isn't really much um, uh, direction, you know? And it's like sort of, you know, Phil has Baxter building in his background. He's in a tux. He's heading over uh, with his camera into onlookers, mm-hmm. point and gasp. It's <laughs> 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 like, okay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're generally... Uh as a rule is not that much description when it comes to that. I mean, I think I probably include a little bit more than most people do as far as like how I want the shot, the close up, the tight shot and all that stuff um, just coming from film. But I do think when it comes to the layout, it's the artist is not just like envisioning the pictures on the panels. They're envisioning that entire page and how the, how the story flows They're They're taking in the data from the script and then they're interpreting it as the art, as the work of art. I think, especially when you're, when you're physically painting it, I would have to imagine that most of the time the artist is 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 laying out the entirety of the page and i'm sure there's discussions about it but i think it largely has to do with their art direction i would imagine yeah i mean i would imagine as a watercolor artist too that he was like okay this is my shot okay you know yeah. like i'm gonna start this page there isn't you know nowadays um digital digital coloring and, and things like that where you yeah. can just sort of erase it right back out or copy you know, cut it out um yeah. this is definitely I, I think Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I say I think um, 
as far as keeping the action moving and the text light, that was a really good balance. Yeah. You know, there wasn't text heavy. I agree. And, and you know, the art, I was kind of struggling, not struggling with it, but it was I was going back and forth with it the entire time I was reading it because it really is very striking, very beautiful. Uh, it, to me, has a vintage look to it. Uh, even the costumes and such are very much of the time when the story takes place, which I really appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and the story is, again, very grounded. It's very human. Um, so the only time where the art style kind of took me out of it was during the few kind of intense, intense action sequences, because I don't think it lends itself to very fast movements and, and stuff. And so uh, when that happened, it, you, you can really tell that it's a painting and that the, the more grounded still shots are much more striking and beautiful to me uh, than the so every once in a while there's like this, there's a big panel that's like kind of chaos sort of like when you see like cg in the new mcu movies like <laughs> if you if you if you focus yeah. on it too much you're like what what is even going on here but as a spectacle right. and then in the individual shots it, it has its merits yeah and, cool. and and some of it too i mean you can tell he had a lot of reference he had a lot of like reference shots people that were maybe sure. friends of his or yeah you know, the models he always like uses models yeah. in most of his art yeah. which is interesting and, and sometimes it was static i i like when he sort of breaks into his own imagination like the galactus scenes were awesome because they were just crazy angles different scenes together um he had a lot of like kirby you know montage stuff and yeah and mm -hmm. he took the story that was originally in in the fantastic four and and turned it into like um these are the snapshots of the the cooler moments. <laughs> yeah. The abbreviated version. Yeah. It's so interesting. You're, you know, you're looking at a, a physical painting of someone who has taken a picture I and mean, the person in the story is taking a picture. So it is, I think, I mean, the art style fits perfectly. The, if you did this digitally, not that they were doing that, you know, much when this came out, but I mean, it just would not work at all in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Sure. I guess, do you guys think this book could have been made today? Well, I, I think it could be, but I also think it would have to be, um, I don't know, I guess, okay, so here's an example, um, like Ed Brubaker, I always got to go back to my man Brubaker. Yep. <laughs> um, so Ed Brubaker's writing is crime noir, and he always throws in a little tiny spin of some sort of supernatural something, right? So. You, you can't have someone like um, really too crisp or too colorful because his stories are just not that way, right? Mm. So they're, they're just subdued. So if someone were to do this story nowadays, I feel like they could, but they might sort of have a harder time with the, the line that they can't cross to make it like icky CG looking because they'd want to. They'd want to make, you know, when the sky is on fire with the Fantastic Four, they'd want mm -hmm. to make it like real like that. But, you know, I, the way that this was done was, I think, taking his time on it sort of instilled that, um, like that the reader needs to take their time through the book, too, because the the art form is not fast. No. And that's why, again, when I think when you get a, just a couple of those scenes where things are moving very quickly, it needs a little bit more of that sharpness. But I think if you got an artist that worked only in that sharpness, then, you know, 90% of the book wouldn't work, which is what this story is. It isn't those moments, in my opinion, you know, and I think yeah. 
I think if it was uh, made today, it would be kind of a bummer because it would be through like the lens of a cell phone and like TikTok. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that yeah, is, that's, that's what would happen. Yeah. That's, that's Maybe like selfies <laughs> with the silver surfer behind them and stuff. Yeah. You know? no, I don't want that. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. And another thing that was funny uh, when I was reading it, when Peter Parker comes on the scene as Peter Parker and at the Daily Bugle and the yes, photographer. And, yeah. And they're of course kind of looking at each other like, oh, he he's the past. I'm the future. I'm going to take <laughs> yeah. over for you. And I was like, that's too real. <laughs> yeah. so it's like, oh, passing of the torch. That's cool. But wow, that's just it's like looking into a mirror of like, this is what I was. <laughs> this is not what's going coming. I had to reread that, really that a couple cool. a couple times too because it comes at you so fast. I'm like waiting for yeah. Spider-Man to show up because he's like on the cover. And it's of only my like a issue. couple panels. Yeah. Yeah, and I like love Spider-Man so much, and then I'm reading. I'm like, wait, 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 that's Peter Parker, and I went back and reading. I'll say, okay, yeah, that's him. <laughs> it was no, very oh, for sure. Surprising to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Josh, you should read um, Spider-Man Life Story. I don't know if you've seen that. I keep seeing that on the shelf at uh, Mile High Comics here in Denver, and I I, I want to pick it up. Is it? It's a similar sort of feel to this. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, what they did was they said, what if Spider-Man, because like if you think of the entire Marvel universe, the, all of Marvel comics from mm-hmm. from uh, the Human Torch to the X-Men to like nowadays, mm-hmm. I guess technically in the Marvel land, we'll have to look this up. So don't quote me, but it's like 20 years past or 15 okay. years or something like time is, I don't know, like they went from the, the scroll wars to the secret wars to the, you know, like in yeah, every month. Yeah, it was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was like a different th- period. Not much time has passed. So what Spider-Man Life Story does is it says, what if um, Spider-Man aged normally? So mm-hmm. it shows him starting out as Spider-Man when he was like in his teens in high school. And then he goes to college and graduates. And then he goes on with his life. And then he is in his 30s and he's in his like 50s and and the, all of his villains are aging with him and it's like time passes from 1966 to like today and it was a really cool way to look at the story because people always think of him as you know forever high school kid and um especially the movies man that bums me they're out too. Doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, was like, yeah. he was only in high school for uh, what was it like 20 some issues and then he went to college and then you know i mean he spent a lot of his time in college but he was not in high school that long in the grand scheme of comics Right. Then he they just, just want to make with his rent so for bad. 40 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why they did the ultimate uh, Spider-Man when Bendis came on. They're like, oh, yeah, let's spend more time in high school. It's high school. Yeah. 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 Let's yeah. get the kid back, you know, get yeah. the kid back. And that's what it was. Um, that was a whole other thing, too. <laughs> another fun thing at the very end of Marvel's when um, Phil is, is taking that photo with his wife. I'm trying to think of where that is. Um, yeah, like, like at the end after Gwen Stacy and he was like, you know what, I think I'm going to just spend more time with my family. And, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of issue four, it takes, um, um, they take a picture with this newspaper boy that's riding a bike and it's like, what's your name? And he's like, my name's Danny catch. And yeah, uh, I was like, that's that's the weirdest Easter egg you could have did. Yeah, Where's so he, you know he'll go on to become Ghost Rider. Okay, okay, I was going yeah, like, to explain that to me. Yeah, yeah, he was the second Ghost Rider. He's the Ghost Rider of the '90s. Who? Yeah, so he's like riding a bicycle. <laughs> <of Ghost Rider. laughs> That's amazing. Young, young Ghost Rider. 
Now, but, uh, you know, it's, when Gwen Stacy died, like yeah, when Gwen Stacy died, that was the end of a certain era of comic books in general, wasn't it? Largely seen that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, so it made sense for the comic to kind of come to a conclusion or his life story to come to a conclusion kind of with that event. Yeah, because, you know, what happened with Gwen Stacy, and, and I've tried to explain this to like non-comic book people of just yeah. like, you know, Spider-Man, uh, uh, you know, because before Spider-Man was, you know, Fantastic Four and, and Captain America and Iron Man and Thor and, you know, and whatever happened, happened and. And you never really had like true loss, like real loss, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, that that wasn't somewhat reversible. And then they got to Spider-Man and they said, okay, listen, this is a regular kid who had no dreams of becoming a superhero. And then he gets bitten and now he is a superhero yeah. and <clears throat> he loses Uncle Ben. You know, he he loses his chance of having a normal life. He loses most of his friends because... You know, some of them turn to villains and, you know, so he just has all this like loss on top of trying to pay his rent and pay Aunt May's mortgage and, you know, get a job and have a bike. And and then um, just when you think everything's kind of going well, you know, in the comics, uh, then, you know, Gwen Stacy dies. And it's like she was before MJ. I mean, she was like the girl. Right. So Mm -hmm. and. I was just telling, you know, people when that happened, I mean, comic book readers were like, well, that's not going to stay that way. And then it did. And it Mm -hmm. was like, whoa, you know, it just took a while to sink in. And it's sort of like, you know, a good novel or a good storyline sets a rule Mm. and they either break it or they never break it. Mm. And when Gwen Stacy died, it was like, that was broken. Like, you know, that rule was broken and that she's not coming back. And so then comics sort of took that as like a reason to get more serious. You know, they took it as like, if they did it to Gwen Stacy, the stakes are raised and we're going to write some serious, serious stories. And after that, it, it, it did get a little serious getting into the seventies and things and, you know, um, and, and starting to build on like, you know, Neil Gaiman and some of the bigger boys, you know, it's like they got serious. So yeah, Gwen Stacy really did do a big, um, a big shift. I don't know. They kind of reset the stakes a little bit. That's so interesting to hear you explain it that way, because I was, I watched uh, the amazing Spider-Man two. I'll be right back. (laughs) You keep going. Okay. Um, I was watching the amazing Spider-Man two with an eight year old. And when Gwen Stacy died at the end of that movie, uh, his first instinct was, Oh, she's that's, she's not dead or, you know, she's not actually right. dead or she's going to come back. And that's so interesting. It's the same exact thing as you're describing when you explain that story uh, when it was happening to people reading the comic book. Well, and it was also a, a real true human, you know? And so like, mm-hmm. you know, there's been deaths in the comics, but then it's like, Oh, that was a scroll or, Oh, that was someone else. Right. Or, oh, that, you yeah. know, like you never really felt like it was someone that was close or maybe it was like the, uncle of a sister of some hero and he's like oh but that one was like the first time they spent a long time building up a character and then just boom you know like and there's probably the best page in a spider-man comic ever uh after that happened when peter is really sad in his apartment he's just beside himself and like mj comes in and he kind of tells her just to get out of there and leave him alone Mm -hmm. yeah and then she goes to like walk towards the door to leave, but then she closes the door and stays. And that was like a really 
you know, cool way for the comics to just sort of start, um, I don't know, start really motions that, you know, you would want in a comic. So yeah. it led up to a lot of stuff. I mean, really, Spider-Man changed fully as a character. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's definitely those flaws and that realism that makes him my favorite character, like of all time through any medium, honestly. I just love him so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. And, Absolutely. you know, yeah. even jumping back to Marvels, too, they they kind of, I think Kurt and Alex Ross, they know that. They know these characters are important to yeah. everyone, you know. I mean, when this came out, so it came out in 1994, they did the four issues, and then they came back to it, and they wrote an epilogue the very last issue there where he is um, mm-hmm. where he meets the X-Men like at the tree in New York. Remember yeah. that? The very end. Um, he, um, uh, Alex Ross and Kurt got back together in 2019 and they wrote that single issue. So oh, they yeah. came back to it. Yeah. So like this all came out in 1994 and then they came back to it in 2019 and wrote the epilogue, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. It's like they wanted to finish this story. And you could tell Alex Ross's artwork changed dramatically in that, like that, that end part. And uh, they just—I don't know—it must have been knocking around in their brains all these years to say, "We we want to tie this up, you know. We want to put this back into a little bow," and say, "You know, Phil didn't just retire, but Phil looked back on a whole lifetime, and now you know, passing the torch on to everyone." I think it's a good way to to kind of think of it. You guys, I sure. don't think mine included that. The yeah. digital one? Uh, yeah, Same mine here. Ends, mine ends so you might have that on the 25th. Yeah, oh. wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it's really, um, you might, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's it's mostly, uh, I mean, the gist of it is Phil reappears with his family and they, they kind of go to New York and they bump into like Wolverine and mm. Cyclops, oh but they're gosh. just people. They just bump into like regular people, and then we we know them as the X Men. So we're like, hey, right. like Storm and everyone, mm-hmm. and um, he's just there with his daughters, and his daughters are taking pictures, and the X Men, a Sentinel appears, and the X Men take care of it. And Phil was like, hey, look, you know, they really are doing good, kind of. That was like the idea. Sure, yeah, I do think they they needed a, a redemption uh, yeah. of all these when they did have the their issues came up. Um, they were basically, they were trying to figure out like the segregation thing and the fearing of the X-Men and how mm-hmm. to, how to come to terms with it, but they never really, I guess, solve that at the end. Yeah. So it, uh, it was, I guess that's really cool to hear that they did actually give them some justice at the end and show that yeah. they are heroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he thought, like, about, like, oh, you know what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll come back and start taking some photos for a newspaper or whatever. But then he like looked around him. And like everyone was like cheering and happy, and he was like, "They don't need the media; they just need the, the themselves or something like that." It, so it was mm-hmm. just a nice way for all of these little because they did just leave it as prejudice is prejudice and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> real social issues. Yeah, you don't roll get, credits. <laughs> yeah, just just reading this book, you really don't get the feel that X Men are. Are, her, are heroes at all? Really, I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. it is 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 uh, villains. You know, you get that little snippet with a. Uh, Professor X in that uh, interview that he has, but other other than that, yep. it, it just seems scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Especially when they're trying to hide the, the little X Men girl, and they're trying to protect her, and yeah. and they're like, "Oh, she's gone." She's like, "Oh, I just wanted to protect you guys. I didn't want um, 
I didn't want all, all of the problems with my world to come into yours. That was so heartbreaking too. You yeah, felt it was. Like, whoa, that's yeah. powerful. And, and they never, they, they said that she just went away. They never yeah. brought her back as like a future character. Yeah. She's not like secretly some other X-Men mutant. She's probably just, I don't know, yeah. went, went underground there with or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Someone could still write the book. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Um, there you go. It's, it's an open storyline for Hickman or someone. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God! Don't say that. He's gonna bring it back. <laughs> bring, bring it in. That's funny. I, I was taken by the uh, the Cyclops thing too because you know um, when he kept they kept going back to the point when he was saying they're not worth it and they, they never gave him any redemption either. He just seemed like not a good guy at all, which I didn't know. That was I think he was just kind of hearing that sort of out of character and out of conversation as just a comment that Cyclops made. Because w- correct me if I'm wrong, but was Cyclops ever a villain or on the the bad side of things through the comics? not till oh. much later on in, okay. in like comics but i would yeah. say that probably in the early 60s with stan and jack like uh like they weren't like going i mean they were obviously saving the day but they were like always feared always getting pointed at always did that it wasn't i think till claremont kind of started to break some of those social issues down and kind of extrapolate on a little bit that the x-men were more humanized and like lots of cultural issues were dressed and things like that and kind of moved the story more i always found that interesting because some of them obviously look very different but a lot of them their powers don't change their appearance and so to have Mm -hmm. a prejudice based on whether it happened you were born with a superpower or whether it happened through some kind of freak accident Uh, yeah Mm -hmm. side of the coin yeah that's another prejudice yeah Mm-hmm. I think also Cyclops just built a thick skin like instantly mm-hmm. and he saw himself yeah. as like he has to protect these kids you know he was sort of the natural leader because he just said I'm going to take all this burden on myself and he was just always serious and that's why a lot of people didn't really like him because I think he just never loosened up you know it was yeah just like, it was it until guy, he moved know? out of the X match when they graduated um yeah starting to loosen up a little bit yeah. moved to x-factor or something i don't know, but, yeah, but you know yeah. because that was just their 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 shtick at the time was just everyone hates you all the time and if you go out <laughs> in public you know you're not going to be happy and so they just kind of did their job and sort of you know uh blended away i mean they didn't have like the ninja turtle mentality they, you know they they did their jobs and then they went back to just being not very exciting i guess um but they it's funny they show the personalities of each character in this book too Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know very subtle and they only have like one page to do it you know so it's really well done to kind of keep the story moving and you get the idea this i think if you're not a longtime reader you can still read this it'll introduce you to a lot of characters that you can then go search out and then come back to it that would be Mm -hmm. my you know, come back to it uh, two years from now, read it again. Right. And you'll appreciate it a lot. Yeah. You'll you'll really appreciate it all over again. Yeah. It makes me want to dig into that Fantastic Four Silver Surfer stuff. Oh, absolutely. I have some blind spots, even though I I love the Fantastic Four, but that whole Silver Surfer saga, I don't really know much about that at all, actually. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely yeah, just read like out. the first uh, 30 issues of Fantastic Four, <laughs> and they're like the best run in comics, yeah, like that's ever. Awesome. Um, really, yeah. it's it's really great. Cool, and they, it's, they set up a lot. It was really interesting how like praised and romanticized the the Fantastic Four were. Like you always said, like they were the first family of Marvel, and this mm-hmm. really hit it home on the dot. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just see that. Like that the royal really family cool. with the big wedding and stuff. Yeah, they mm-hmm. definitely did a great oh, job. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, All right. I would say definitely in my book, uh, this is this is a, a, a good read and a reread and a, a great book to have on your shelf. Thank you for renewing my copy, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, anyway, you could get the story, read it. Appreciate yes. it. Yes. A lot went into it. And just the fallout of this, like Alex Ross is now one of the biggest icons in, in, uh, in art, comic art right now. Um, mm-hmm. He just went on to do so much. And Kurt Busick, what character hasn't he written? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything. Do you guys have a favorite run by that writer? Uh, not particularly. I haven't did like so much like uh, digging into it, but I would like to go check out his Astro City stuff more. I've read pieces of it and his Conan yeah. run. I really want to check that out. Cool. Yeah, I mean, he he went on to also do the Avengers that are right behind you, Andrew. Um, oh, yes. So, <laughs> yeah. <It's> <laughs> yeah, and and some of the some of the more popular Avenger runs. Uh, because him he and George handles, like he handles 20 characters all at once really yeah. well. That's just wow. the way he does it. That's that's, yeah, that's why him yeah. and Perez were best buds when they broke yep. up. George Perez can draw like a hundred characters every page every <laughs> day. Uh, and so yeah. they just, they handled some of the bigger storylines out there. But um, he also just was one of those where people wanted him just to get on a run for 10, 20 issues revitalize the line and then he would go somewhere else and just pump out another 10 20 issues go to the next one i mean he he was like the every every guy um and he was just good at it he just he really cared about the characters you know and and he really i think um kept them relevant you know, like you know chris claremont got stuck in the x-men for like what 20 years still um, is <laughs> yeah. but uh but kurt's just one of those there's there's like 10, 10 people that are just stellar and timeless. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's one of them. I guess real quick, Josh, what character uh, like Marvel, DC, or whatever would you want to write for? Definitely Spider Man for sure. Okay. That would be yeah, a dream. I not even, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I love X Men too, but yeah, Spider Man would be great. And I would love to do. I mean, obviously anything uh, that had anything to do right. with Spider-Man, but I would love to do like a graphic novel, like a, a, a complete story that I just get to conceptualize start to finish would be really, really amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Preferably right. when he's older in life and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> has some years. On his back. <laughs> I prefer that Spider-Man. as Absolutely. Spider-Man Me child, too. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. And I think that wraps up. Thanks for yeah. coming on cool. the podcast, Josh. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you guys so, so much. This was a blast. Heck right. yeah. We'll have to do another one soon and let us know yeah. when, you know, another project comes up. We really will check sure. it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Everyone get your copy of Josh's book, Twilight Custard at twilightcustard.com and everyone read Marvel's. We're going to put them right together. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're in it. So, well, thank you very much, Josh. This was great. Thank you. My right. pleasure. <laughs> No problem. Uh, this is Bam Powell Comic Hour signing off with Andrew Gliner. Chris Josh Ramos. Wilson. Oops, and Josh Wilson. <laughs> yes, <laughs> signing off. Thank you, everyone. Right. Thank you. Good night, good night. <laughs>